authoring a PhD. Patrick Dunleavy, 2003. Chapter 3. Planning an integrated thesis. The macro structure. The pattern of the thing precedes the thing. Vladimir Nabokov. Any large text has to be broken up and arranged into a set of chapters. This task may seem unproblematic. First, think about how many thousand words you want to write and then how many chunks of text you need to split up this total effectively. Next, settle on what topics to begin with and where you want to end up. Then, fix on some way to get from alpha to omega. So far, so straightforward. But there is a bit more to it than that. One of Neil Young's ironic songs has a record producer telling a rock artist that they have a perfect track, although they don't yet have either a vocal or a song. If we could get these things accomplished, he says, nothing else could go wrong. Planning a thesis from a blank canvas requires a similar heroic optimism. And there are multiple considerations to keep in mind. Your structure has to be accessible for readers. They must see the sequence of chapters as logical, well-organized and cumulative. At the same time, if you are to understand what you are about, the overall thesis plan has to sustain your progress as an author and researcher. It must keep your argument on track, motivate you to move on, and facilitate the development of your methods and approach. The succession of chapters has to be related in some definite and planned way to the timetable for your research. The vast majority of PhD students, around four-fifths at a guess, are serial authors. They find it easiest to write chapters in a single sequence, starting chapter 5 only when chapters 1 to 4 are already pretty well defined. Generally speaking, writing chapter 5 when all you have to look at are disparate parts of, say, chapter 3 and chapter 6, is going to be a pretty much more difficult proposition. But on the other hand, writing up your thesis so that its chapter sequence just records what research you did in the order that you did it can produce incoherent structures, which cut across or obstruct the current organization of your argument and thought. Getting to a better designed chapter structure often influences how good your doctorate is. In this chapter, I look at three different cuts into the problem of organizing the component parts of your thesis into a storyline. The first way of looking at the issue focuses on the relationship of the whole and the core in your thesis. The core being the most value-added bits, the sections where you make a distinctive contribution to scholarship or research. The second cut looks at the choice between focusing down or opening out in the overall sequencing of materials. How you sequence elements often influences the weights which you give each component of your thesis. In terms both of your text space and of research and writing time. The way that you make these decisions can affect readers view of your work and your own effectiveness as an author and researcher. The third perspective focuses on choosing a strategy of explanation from a limited number of options. At the broadest level there are actually only four possible ways of expounding your materials in creative non-fiction writing. Each of these options has its attendant advantages and disadvantages. The whole and the core. 
There are two things to be considered with regard to any scheme. In the first place, it is good. In the first place, is it good in itself? In the second, can it be easily put into practice? Jean Jacques Rousseau. Anyone planning a long text needs to think logistically for a moment. Leave aside the intellectual issues of what substantive material to write and just ponder for a bit how much, what kind and in what order. A big book thesis is a particularly fraught context in which to set out to write what is good or true before putting some numbers into the frame. In the first place, universities now impose some important legal restrictions on what your doctoral dissertation can look like. In the past, many people overwrote big book theses, greatly prolonging the time spent on them and creating long tomes that were excessively onerous to get examined. Nowadays, any responsible university will limit the maximum time you can spend on a PhD, usually allowing from five to eight years of full-time study, but more pro rata for part-time students. If the thought of, say, a six-year-long project makes you shudder as it should, do not be fooled into thinking that this limit is purely notional. Every year, there will be people who come up to the limit and some who overrun it. Just as no one should go on and on as a permanent student. So doctoral theses are now normally limited to a maximum length which may vary a little from one university or discipline to another. In Europe and Britain, where the big book thesis remains predominant in soft disciplines, the upper limit can be safely thought of as 100,000 words, which is about 330 pages of A4 paper typed double-spaced. One A4 page is about 330 words, so that 1,000 words cover three pages. Obviously, you should check the specific regulations applying to your discipline at your university and adjust my advice here to fit well inside your formal limit if it is less than 100k words. You must take this constraint seriously from the start and make sure that you do not overwrite it. If you work away on your chapters in isolation one at a time, it is very easy for hardworking people to write 125,000, 150,000 or even 200,000 words of text without appreciating how the numbers are stacking up. At a late stage in your research to realize that you have 25% or 50% more text than you need or can submit, is a very great shock. It can take weeks or months of painstaking work to make cuts of this magnitude in a complex text. And cutting out whole chapters at a late stage can be almost equally disruptive. In fact, the danger of overwriting is so acute that you need to make sure you come in well within the formal limit. A useful general rule is to produce a main text that is no more than four-fifths of the permitted length. A formal word's target includes everything. All footnotes or endnotes, all appendices, data tables, figures and diagrams. The only thing normally excluded is the bibliography an exhaustive alphabetical listing of every book, paper, document or other source cited, which every thesis must have in its closing pages. To be on the safe side, therefore, write no more than 80% of the permitted number of words in your main text, 
An overall thesis constraint of 100,000 words means that your main chapters should not exceed 80,000 words. The 20,000 word difference here partly gives you some space for the notes, appendices and other supplementary materials. It also includes an insurance margin of around 10,000 words in case some of your chapters prove stubbornly longer than planned. In terms of what happens to your research after it is finished, a main text of 80,000 words is also a lot better. At this length, your thesis may be potentially publishable in a cut-down form as a book, while one at the legal limit will be far too big. The average academic book is around 70,000 words long, and the closer you write to that kind of figure, the less revising work will be entailed in converting your thesis into a monograph. Cutting, say, 100,000 words down to this length may not seem too difficult a task. In fact, it means losing a third of your work, and a cut of this magnitude could take several months' work to achieve. There are not usually formal rules about the minimum length for a doctoral thesis, but informal lower limits often do apply. Where universities follow the big book thesis, then academics generally interpret regulations specifying that a doctorate must make a substantive contribution to knowledge to mean a pretty substantial tome. The one exception is dissertation using some condensed form of expression such as mathematical exposition or a very formal technical way of expressing arguments. But in these disciplines, big book theses are now rarely used and shorter paper model dissertations are anyway the norm. Another consideration is that most universities in Europe and North America have a second tier postgraduate thesis qualification below the PhD level for which candidates do not need to undertake original research and which has a lower maximum word limit. Once you have set the length of your main text, ideally at 80,000 words, you need to cut it up into chunks. A basic principle of organizing any piece of text is that it should be subdivided evenly so far as possible. In this case, into chapters. Regular chunking up of text fosters consistent expectation amongst readers. They know in advance how long chapters are. In addition, regular divisions always look better organized and controlled. To determine the number of subdivisions needed, bear in mind that a chapter has a practical maximum length of around 10,000 words. Chapters more extended than this length make it much harder for you to organize them internally and to control the argument effectively. See chapter 4. Long chapters are also more difficult to convert into articles in academic journals, for which the optimum length is no more than 6,000 to 8,000 words. Chapters more extended than this length make it much harder for you to organize them internally and to control the argument effectively. Long chapters are also more difficult to convert into articles in academic journals for which the optimum length is no more than 6,000 to 8,000 words. Conference papers should be even shorter, around 5,000 to 6,000 words long. A 10,000 word chapter can normally be edited down to form a decent 8,000 word journal article. With a lot of surgery, it is also feasible to recast most of it as a paper for an academic conference, but a chapter of 15,000 words will be effectively unpublishable in either form. At this length, it will need radical rewriting if it is ever to see the light of day. Chapters must also be of a certain minimum length if you are to fulfill your key mission as an author and successfully manage readers' expectations. A short chapter, one of less than about 6,000 words, will be confusing for readers. 
It can easily seem insubstantial and disappointing. It may even appear as a fake element that you have inserted on your contents page to try and mask an otherwise obvious gap or unsuccessful patch in your research effort. Of course, theses vary a great deal in how far they can be structured into similarly sized chunks, so these targets and limits are only indicative. There will be many occasions where you have to interpret them a bit flexibly. Yet it is a good idea to be very skeptical about writing chapters that are much longer or much shorter than 10,000 words. The central target length can be pushed up or down by 2,000 words either way without doing any great harm. But chapter length should not go lower than about 8,000 words or higher than about 12,000 words, except for the most pressing and exceptional reasons. Of course, it is often hard to predict at the planning stage how long chapters will turn out in the writing. If you end up with a substantially oversized chapter, say one that is 17,000 words long, the best strategy is to split it into two new, evenly sized chapters of around 8,500 words each. Do not try to struggle along trying to organize so much text as a single unit. And do not ask your readers to cope with following an argument at the original monster length. An overall text of around 80,000 words evenly divided into chunks averaging 10,000 words each implies that your thesis will need around 8 chapters. The 8 times 10 format is a very potent one. It can usefully serve as a strong benchmark against which you should measure any different chapter structure. With eight chapters, your content page will easily meet the seven is a magic number criterion. Your readers can hold the whole sequence in the forefront of their attention. And so can you. But if your structure has more than 10 or 11 chapters, you will be unable to pay attention to it or envision it as a whole. And you may react by randomly forgetting chapters or losing track of the sequence. Again, what is true for you as an author here will also be true for readers. Give them 14 chapters to keep in mind and you can almost be certain that the overall pattern of your argument will become less visible and harder to follow. People often feel that the 8 and 10 norm is too restrictive and that they can handle many more chapters in their thesis by dividing it into parts, where each part is a set of connected chapters. For instance, a 15-chapter thesis may be too complex to envision clearly, but the idea is that it could be more manageable if divided into three parts of five chapters each. This use of parts simply to manage an inflation of the number of chapters should always be avoided. Your organizing problems will not go away because the individual chapters will still become too small and fragmented. Conspicuously brief chapters will seem bitty and short weight to readers whether they are linked together into parts or not. A two-tier structure of parts sitting on top of chapters can also seem attractive as a way of signaling to readers that there are important continuities between chapters. For instance, it might be that chapters 1 to 4 deal with different aspects of one meta-topic, and chapters 5 to 8 are about a second, so that a two-part division will highlight this meta-structure for readers. Similarly, different parts may use different methodologies or be focused on different levels or aspects. A part structure is more legitimate here and may have something to recommend it in some circumstances. But a two-tier structure still requires careful management. For new authors, it is a complication that is often mishandled and so it is best avoided if possible. For instance, 
You can often indicate continuities between groups of chapters more simply by referring to the links between them in their titles. Ideally, then you should pursue a clean and uncomplicated 8-10k structure for your main text without any other organizing devices above the chapter level. So much then for the organization of the whole. But this section is also about the core of your thesis, which may be simply defined as all those sections with high research value added. The core contributes to originality either by the discovery of new facts or by the exercise of independent critical power. This set of chapters contains all the most substantively new or different sections of your research, the ones that determine if you get a doctorate or not. In a big book thesis, not all of your doctorate can or should fall into the core. There will also be a certain irreducible amount of non-core materials composed of lead-in material, which introduces and sets up core material for readers so that it is understandable and accessible, sometimes dismissively labeled as throat-clearing stuff, Lead-in sections or chapters always require careful management. Nonetheless, they often loom much larger to students in terms of their length and their writing and rewriting time than their eventual role in the final thesis would justify. Readers often page through lead-in materials quite quickly, looking mainly for the beef to be found later in the core sections. Lead-out materials do the book-closing role for larger thesis, providing an integrating summation of or restatement of what has been found and setting in a wider context. When thinking about how to organize these three types of materials, lead-in, core, and lead-out, it is vital that so far as possible they should form distinct blocks in this sequence, shown in figure 3.1. They should not be split up and scattered around the thesis in little chunks. Readers must be able to clearly identify the core as a set of discrete, high-value-added chapters. They should never have to search for smaller nuggets of originality dispersed in mixed chapters that also contain other kinds of material. The point of the lead-in material is simply to frame, highlight, and lead up to the core. In particular, they should ensure that readers can appreciate the originality and the usefulness of what you have done in your central research activities. To get a doctorate and to do a good thesis more broadly, the size of the core matters a great deal. You must make sure that there are enough core chapters and that they are big enough in terms of the total wordage of your thesis to color the whole thing as an original piece of work. My suggested rule of thumb for big book thesis is that 50,000 out of the 80,000 words of the main text must be core materials. That is, appreciably more than half of your text should be originalish stuff. Reporting primary research that you have undertaken or making new and distinctive arguments that you can plausibly claim to have originated or developed. This is a very demanding standard but a therapeutic one. It throws into sharp focus the need to concentrate on your thesis's value-added elements. If you are doing a papers model dissertation, then although your overall word length will be less, the ratio of core materials will be a good deal higher. Each of the four or five papers chapters you need to write will have to be around 75% original material to count as publishable and even more demanding standard. Do not end load a big book thesis, leaving all the good bits squeezed into the last third or quarter of the text. 
as many people do. A recurring problem in most humanities and social sciences disciplines is that students spend so much time and effort on writing lead-in materials that they can create a long, dull, low-value sequence of chapters before readers come across anything original. To check your own plan, count the number of chapters and the number of pages that readers must scan through before they come to the core. Overextending the lead-in stuff will also squeeze out the time needed to do your core research and write it up properly. Long legacy chapters, often literature reviews or methods descriptions inherited from your first one or two years of study, also restrict the text space you have available to set out the core properly. Avoiding an end-loaded thesis is more difficult than it looks. When beginning students are doing text planning, they often multiply introductory literature reviews or insert unneeded theoretical or ground-clearing or methodological chapters. It is easy to become convinced that you have somehow or that you must somehow discuss and explain everything about your project before actually doing it. To curb this tendency, try setting a maximum size limit for lead-in materials of two chapters. Obviously, every big book thesis needs at least one lead-in and one lead-out chapter, usually the first and last, respectively. With only eight chapters overall and a minimum size for the core of five chapters, that leaves you only one spare chapter that can hold additional lead-in materials, such as descriptive setup materials or an account of your methods. Less commonly, the spare chapter might provide a second lead-out chapter, for instance, where your research findings are very rich and require a lot of after-analysis. Note that if you schedule three chapters of lead-in materials, then you must either erode your core to half or less of your thesis, which is dangerous in meeting the doctoral level, or leave yourself no space for a proper lead-out chapter, or begin inflating the number of chapters beyond what is ideal. Bear in mind the adverse impacts on professional readers of having to page through three whole chapters of secondary guff before they reach any worthwhile value-added elements. If you find that your initial thesis plan has four or more chapters of lead-in material, my advice would be to scrap this schema at once and to rethink your approach from scratch. Clearly, identifying what is core in your thesis and what is not can be a psychologically taxing decision. You may tend to disguise from yourself that some chapters are not actually part of the core. Or you may enlarge your core inauthentically so as to include low-value-added materials and get yourself up to having four or five apparently qualifying chapters. You need to guard against these tendencies. Because being honest with yourself can be crucial for your research planning. For instance, what happens if you can only identify three chapters out of eight in your thesis plan that genuinely seem to be value-added material? You need to go back to the fundamental design of your project here and see how you can produce one or two more core chapters. For instance, if you previously planned to undertake two case study or detailed analysis chapters, can you instead aim to undertake three or four case studies? Or, if you previously were using just one method for generating results, should you think about employing another confirmatory method as well? Being honest about your core is also vital to organizing your thesis effectively. Once you have the core firmly in focus, you need to cue it and brand it heavily for readers. Your thesis title, your abstract, your chapter headings, and the contents page, your preface, and the introductory chapter, all these key organizers need to be mobilized so as to highlight, set up, and frame the core materials in your thesis. The need to know criterion 
should apply strongly here too. Ask of your lead in chapters. What do readers need to know in order to appreciate the value-added elements to come in the core chapters? At the start of your PhD studies, queuing and branding the core is difficult. For you still will not have begun the key stages of your research. But these considerations need to come into even your early planning. A key orienting device here is a rolling thesis synopsis of three or four pages. This document is for your own use and for your supervisors only. It greatly expands on your chapter plan or contents page by giving a paragraph of writing about what each chapter will say. The synopsis also expresses the main storyline of your thesis. You should write your first synopsis as early as possible in your first year. Thereafter, it is vital to keep revising it so that it is permanently up-to-date and always captures your latest thinking. The whole point of a rolling synopsis is that you should never be writing or working into a vacuum. As you work on one chapter, you always need to have a paragraph or so about what later unwritten chapters will cover and an accessible summary also of the key points made in chapters already written. The rolling synopsis should always concentrate on summarizing your substantive arguments and conclusions, what you have claimed, what you have found out, and what you hope to discover. Focusing down or opening out. Thinking is a struggle for order and at the same time for comprehensiveness. See Wright Mills. Thinking is a conversation with imaginary audiences. Randall Collins. There are three basic sequences of chapters for a doctorate which can be labeled the focus down model, the opening out model, and the compromise model. The focus down model. The most common and most awful sequence records four or five years work more or less in the order that it happened. The contents page typically shows two, three, or even four literature review chapters, followed by a pretty boring or predictable methods chapter, then only three or four chapters of detailed substantive applied or empirical work, and last, a very brief concluding chapter. A rather cruel process of the subtext message this pattern conveys to readers would go like this. Hi, this is the story of what I did during my doctorate. When I began, I was a bit confused about what topic to pick, so I undertook a really big, broad literature review in order to bring myself and my supervisor up to speed on a field of possible topics. I wrote this up as a long chapter to get me through assessment by my department at the end of the first year. After that, I narrowed down the topic a lot more and did an exhaustive literature review on a bit of the field where I thought I could do better than previous authors. Next, I worked a great deal on my research methodology for whatever techie bits the research involved. For instance, I did a lot of searching for and accessing archives. I collected a lot of numbers, transcribed text, devised a framework for doing content analysis. At last, midway through my second or third year, I went out into the field, got my hands dirty, doing empirical research. I went and sat in foreign libraries or an archive for a year, analyzed my numerical data, interviewed people, did experiments in the lab. At this point I discovered that things outside are not the same as the things that I thought were going on. The results I did get did not really support what I had expected to find. Because I was puzzled and a bit lost, I wrote several long chapters, setting out in raw detail much of what I'd actually discovered and trying to make preliminary sense of these findings. 
By now, I'd almost used up all of my word limit, my PhD finances were running low, and I was becoming jumpy that I'd never make it into the academic job market, so I pushed ahead to get things finished up. My last chapter contains a little bit of post-hoc rationalization of my results. I managed to scrape together during a very rushed final drafting stage. There are multiple reasons why this kind of disappointingly familiar storyline recurs so frequently and predictably with doctorates. One of the most important of these influences is that many people in the humanities and social sciences regard the focus down model of how a doctorate should be structured as either a natural or desirable or inevitable way to do things. Figure 3.2 shows the kind of sequence adopted by 9 out of 10 research students doing big book thesis in Europe in these disciplines, and often demanded by their supervisors. The order of material is shown along the horizontal axis from left to right, and the horizontal width of each block shows the weight of words assigned to that chunk of that thesis. The vertical size for each block shows the scope of the material or topics. The focus down model starts with a very broad literature review that progressively gets winnowed down as it goes on. A set of related big themes are raised initially, discussed superficially, but then often set to the side one by one, or discarded as unmanageable. Gradually a focus on something resembling the much narrower final topic is reached. At this point there is often an interregnum of methodological throat clearing or a chapter discussing some underbrush of other confuser topics. By now, readers are often deep into the thesis, maybe three, four, five chapters. At last, the author moves on to presenting the substance of their own research, which normally concerns only a small part of their initially sketched topic. These core results come late on in the overall text. After the core chapters, there is often little space or time for authors to do more, pull together a quick analysis chapter. Anyway, most of the possible theoretical interpretations relevant to the findings have usually been exhaustively discussed already somewhere in the vast literature review zone at the beginning. So the final chapter is typically scanty, making only brief links from the author's own findings or substantive contribution back to the opening discussion of macro themes. The adverse effects of the focus down model on thesis authors are difficult to overstate. Research students typically spend far too long on their initial literature reviews or surveys, trawling previous work and often becoming engrossed in collecting small argumentative angles or comprehensive references. People can waste a great deal of time on gathering and understanding information about subtopics which later get cut out of the core focus of their PhD, or on appreciating controversies and viewpoints which then turn out to be tangential to their eventual research question. In the classical PhD model, with a big book thesis as end product, the efficiency of your research effort can be measured by the proportion of your total work that shows up in some form in the finished thesis. The focus down model makes the normal tip of the iceberg problem much worse, often to the extent of writing off much of a year's effort or even 18 months work in extreme cases. Of course there is often some kind of pedagogic or socialization rationale for making beginning students cut their teeth on a literature review, but more commonly the insistence on a focus down structure reflects supervisory or departmental imperatives. Supervisors favor the approach because it allows them to read themselves in on their students' new and different topic more gradually. This way of doing things also has a safety-first appeal for bureaucratic reasons. Students who are made to do a big literature review in their first year almost always generate a reassuring bulk of text which offers proof of their application and hard work. 
Composing it also gives them practice and writing skills, even if the text produced has little original content. This course makes it easier for departments to assess beginning students' progress following a maximum of never mind the content, feel the width of text. In the classical PhD model, where there was little or no formal research training via coursework, literature reviews historically helped socialize new researchers into the discipline. This past function is increasingly disappearing now because virtually all PhD students have master's degrees and most PhD programs have strong coursework elements. But what supervisors did in their youth still tends to influence their current expectations. Also, completing a literature review is now something that students can conveniently be asked to do while they are being tied down to stay at the university by the new coursework demands. But letting this period of your research go on much beyond your first four or five months will typically show sharply diminishing returns to effort. Students often become preoccupied with perfecting shallow secondary criticisms of existing work. This pastime may have little scholarly value, but people get locked into it because they have not yet begun their substantive or field research, and hence they still imperfectly understand the practical difficulties of doing so. Students often write literature review chapters in a perfectionist tone, fastening terrier-like on smallish deficiencies of previous work without realizing the extent to which similar difficulties are likely to recur in their own research. The alternative possibility to wasted effort is that once people have expended precious research time on extraneous elements, they may be unwilling to cut this material out. Instead, they try to cram it in somewhere in their final thesis. Students are understandably reluctant to write off already completed chapters even if this work has ceased to connect with their current research interest or central question. Instead, they feel that they have to commit more time to keeping their earlier chapters integrated into the final thesis, even when the linkage is bogus, creates misleading expectations amongst readers, or imperils the intellectual coherence of their doctorate. Long early sections written in their beginning years are also frequently scattered with hostages to fortune, calculated to alienate examiners. Sloppy critical judgments or superficial treatments in these chapters are often not reappraised later on, partly because the student's own accumulating research experience and expertise may no longer relate to them closely. The implications for readers are equally unfortunate. Experienced PhD examiners are inured to slow starting thesis. They will usually page through opening literature review chapters quite quickly, not expecting to see much that is not already thoroughly familiar. But if they get 80, 100 or 150 pages into the thesis, without meeting any value-added material at all, their patience will typically begin to wear thin. They may begin to question the originality of a thesis with so much secondary analysis included, and to wonder if it really meets the standard for a doctorate. Students often imagine that readers will closely scrutinize their small critical comments and discussions in early chapters and ascribe them far more importance than they actually will. To get a more realistic view, think about how you approach books in your own field. Most of us are quite cynical and critical with new stuff, prepared to gut books for their real value-added elements. We are also initially rather skeptical of accepting authors' judgments until they have established their credibility as original researchers. Readers of PhDs are no different. They will tend to see your secondary analysis commenting on other people's work as pretty lightweight or dispensable until you have established your own credentials as an original researcher. At an early stage in the thesis, they still have no reason to take you seriously or to believe 
that your criticisms are grounded in an awareness of research realities. When readers do eventually reach the author's own research materials in the focus-down model, their narrowness or detailed specificity may seem quite disappointing after the wide sweep of work and flashier intellectual themes initially discussed. And the speedy wrap-up ending to the thesis, inadequately linked back to the introductory themes, may leave readers asking, so what? And struggling to work out what they have learned from the thesis as a whole. The whole effect might be that the thesis ends not with a bang, but with a whimper. The opening out model. There are better ways of sequencing material in a long text. In the physical sciences, the normal approach is the opening out model shown in figure 3.3, which works in an almost reversed manner. The first element in the sequence is a deliberately short and terse specification of the research question. It focuses tightly on the immediate issue to be tackled and gives only a brief discussion of the most recent relevant literature, plus a very compressed amount of essentially set up information. The second element, beginning with, let's say, 30 pages of the start, presents the author's key research findings and results. This is followed by a section of applied analysis, which tracks back and forth across what has been found out and connects it up in detail with previous research and literature. Finally, once the author has convincingly established their research credentials, the thesis opens out into a discussion of the wider themes or theoretical implications arising from the research and discusses possible avenues for the next phase of work in the field. There are many advantages in the opening out model. Readers come into contact with your original work much sooner than in the focus down approach. They typically get far more analysis of your results and a better appreciation of how your results mesh with the immediately relevant previous research. Readers also encounter your views on other people's work after and not before you have established your credentials as a serious researcher. As a result, your criticisms and suggestions should come across as much more grounded and authoritative than in the focus down model. For authors, the opening out model also has many substantial advantages. If you can cut short the usual long lead-in and acclimatization period at the beginning of your thesis and get on with the key research tasks as early as possible, then you will have more time to thoroughly understand your findings later on. Analyzing and writing up research results, moving from very detailed, often disorganized materials or complex outcomes to properly structured and well-presented findings, takes a surprising amount of time and intellectual effort. It cannot easily be rushed. The opening out model gives you a better chance to develop new interpretations and to let the implications of your work sink in. Yet the opening out model is very little used in the social sciences or humanities. Many doctoral students confronted by it for the first time find it too demanding, too radically at odds with what their supervisors have told them. In practice, none of these objections actually rules out this approach. You should always choose a, a designed final structure of your thesis rather than allowing the sequence to be set too much by the order in which you undertook tasks across your research period. The compromise model. The third possible approach to sequencing is a compromise between the two models above. This approach has been successfully applied in the humanities and social sciences. First, you need to follow the advice above on keeping lead-in materials to a maximum of two chapters. That means you should keep your original literature review down to just a single chapter. Ideally, one 
that is framed quite closely around your central research question from the start. Do not raise a lot of broader issues that you will never discuss again or where you have little or no value-added contribution to make. Instead, try to focus on materials that readers need to know to appreciate your research contribution and no more. Next, try to keep any setup or background or method material down to just one further chapter, again, following a strict judgment about what readers need to know and avoiding long descriptive digressions. You should consider carefully whether you need to include a separate chapter on methodology in the main sequence of your argument at all. It is often best to write a special research methods appendix to come after the main set of chapters. It can be written as a reference material annex which allows you to include very detailed information for examiners and fellow researchers but without disrupting the development of your main argument. Taking these steps should ensure that readers come into contact with your original research materials within say 50 or 60 pages of the start of your thesis. They are given an appropriate amount of time to warm up on your themes and questions and they get a very synoptic treatment of any background or setup material that they really need to master. But readers no longer have to page through wads of filler material before beginning to appreciate your research contribution. Your core stuff thus comes across much earlier, leaving more space at the end of the thesis for you to do a couple of chapters or one decent long chapter of analysis. The first part of these concluding materials might focus on bringing together and integrating the conclusions from your core chapters, each of which should cover a different component of your research. The second part of these concluding materials can then do a more limited opening out from the results of your analysis back into the wider literature. By saving much of the theory discussion and literature section to handle at the end of the argument, you should be able to form a strong theoretical or broad view chapter. This way you can conclude your thesis on an upbeat, confident and professionally salient note.